a group of uh, people, mine and I, I think Zach, I don't remember, I don't know who else, Carrie, I know, right, you've been going to the juvenile detention center here in San Marcos. Um, did you know we had a juvenile detention center in San Marcos? It's a, a very special place, let me tell you. These kids um, respond to, to love. It's amazing. But they've been going faithfully, and they got to lead one of them to the Lord Yeah, yesterday. come on. How cool is that? If you want to get on that or volunteer, see my mom. Wave your hand, Mom. Lisa, Lisa Moore. She will get you signed up for that. But the other awesome testimony happened this week. Um, on, I don't know if it, I don't remember what day. You guys probably know better, Chris and Tim uh, know better. But um, so we had a young man in our Christian school next door, which is next door, um, that was in the school last year. And over the summer, he felt like he didn't want to come back. He wanted to go to public school. And um, so on the first day of school, which was last week, I think it was at Lehman, he, he walked in the door, his backpack on, walked in the door, and he felt someone tug on his backpack. And he turned around and no one was there. So he proceeded to walk, uh, uh, you know, a little farther down the hallway, and the tug got harder, and he turned around and no one was there. But he heard the voice of God say, you know where you're supposed to be, and it's not here. He goes home that night, and I I don't know, I think his sister was talking to him or something, but midnight, he goes and wakes up his parents and says, God spoke to me this morning at school, and I know that I'm supposed to be at Hill Country. So at 8 a.m. the next morning, they were at the door waiting, and um, and of course they received him back. (laughs) But we said, wow, what a supernatural testimony for, yeah, and I just think it's a really special thing because I wouldn't, I don't know him at all, but as we understand, they probably aren't quite as versed in hearing the voice of God as some of our other teenagers are, and so for that to even happen was a really, really cool thing, but you know, it's just amazing that I feel like the Holy Spirit, is there's just a beacon here. And say, you know, do you want transformation? Do you want transformation? It's going out to children, to families. And that is our our vision for the school, to release transformation in the lives of our students. Not just education, but also spiritual transformation. Hey, everybody, it's Chris's birthday, so tell him happy birthday. All right. Is that really right? Ah. Last night I had an hour and ten minutes. I took it all. It was good. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to remind you that the part where his presence is here is not over. Listen, sometimes we have bad mindsets. The part... He's still here. He's still working. He's still ministering. He's very versatile. So interesting. I've had four people come and tell me that this morning was exactly what they needed, and all four of them said something different about what God was doing. They were like, it was for me. This morning was for me, and this is what he did. I'm like, yeah, that's funny, because it's not what he did with the person that just talked to me. Why? Because he is versatile. There is no box. 
There is no box for the Holy Spirit, only the one you try to put him in. He has no box. He's limitless. That's why Psalm says, one thing you have said, two things I have heard. Why? Because there's no box. It's impossible. He's supernatural. And so I just want to encourage you right now, keep receiving. Keep believing that he's in here just like when he was in here in worship. He is. He didn't leave anywhere. And I don't know why I'm still talking about it, but I just know it's important. I think he, he's wanting to, to shift our mentality that, well, his greatest amount of presence is when there's music. And I think he wants to break that lie off that, man, you can be right in the middle of the hardest moment with no music, no Bethel music around, nothing, and all of a sudden, God is there. Why? Because he's with you. He's about people. He's about his people. So today, I, I want to talk to you a little bit. I, wanna, I actually want to talk to you about clarity. But I, I want to kind of bounce off of something, because I've been in the middle of a series, and this is where we've been heading, how, how hunger leads us to intentionality, intentionality leads to connection, Connection leads to closeness, and closeness leads to clarity. Clarity is where you find the fulfillment of your destiny. Clarity is what you were called to walk in all the time. Now, I didn't say that we understand all the time. What I want to show you is as we embrace the transition that Shane so beautifully talked about last week, transitions going on in our lives, things we don't understand, when we embrace those, it actually allows the Father to release clarity into it. See, it's, it's, it, it's one thing to say, well, we just have to embrace the unknown, but the other is, at that place, as his sons and daughters, then we have to believe that he wants to give us revelation to walk out what he's actually calling us to do. Yes? Hang in there. Because what I'm saying is that as we embrace the place of, man, this is hard and I don't really like it and I'm not sure what's going on. And we say, but Jesus, I believe you have this for me. And I say, yes. All of a sudden, that place opens the door for revelation of clarity where he can say, okay, now here's how we're going to get out of this. Because we cannot live in transition. You can't live in transition. That's called misery. Living in transition is misery, but embracing it and knowing that you have moments of transition and, and moments of where he's working things in you, those are good things, but then you're supposed to come out with what God is wanting to produce in you. That's the call. And I want to give you an illustration of this. About 10 years ago, I was still working some construction. I had a saw, it was actually a grinder. Big Green is what we called him. Ran over my leg and, into, and over my foot and actually almost cut part of my foot off. And so I jumped up and have you, know, have you ever been in shock? Anyone in ever been in shock? I, I looked down and I was like, oh, I, I cut my shin. That's what I thought. And I took a couple steps and about the third step, about uh, 20 feet high, some blood shot up out of my foot. And I was like, whoa. And everybody was like, what was that? And then, they said the next five minutes was me wildly running around the backyard, not letting anybody touch me. Why? Because it was pain, and I didn't want anybody to touch it. 
And I went into shock. And I believe that a lot of times when we're in transition, as Shane was talking about this last week, I began to think of it. I was like, so many of us take tra- transition and we go into shock in it. And we actually needed just a moment of clarity because someone had to tackle me and say, we got to go to the hospital right now. That was clarity for the moment. I would still be running around that backyard. But there was a moment of clarity. It was actually Nolan Anderson tackled me in the backyard and said, we're going to the hospital. And so, and they were able to fix it. What am I saying? Listen, in transition, we have to have clarity or we will respond in shock or in pain and we won't let others help us. We won't let the Father help us. And I actually believe that the Lord is wanting to release clarity in here. And so I want to I want to give you two quick illustrations of clarity this week, how God is intently involved in our journey. Because we've been up here for a few weeks talking about, man, we can fill this new season. We can fill this place. If, if, if you've been here for a few weeks, you know, wow, God's doing something new. And we know that and it's uncomfortable and it's it's new and it's unknown. And we're pushing in and we're having to trust and we have to have faith. I know faith is good. It's what pleases God. And so we begin to, and, and, and so this week was my birthday, and I, got, I love birthday week because it means you're going to get a bunch of prophetic words. And so I had a friend from San Antonio come over, and, and he actually, he, said, he began to prophesy, and he actually said this thing. He said, I see you going into the revelation of the greater Yeshua. Now, why in the world would he use that word? Why? Because it's where we're at in our journey. We've been singing the song. It's been breaking us through. We've been having this love fest with Jesus, who is Yeshua, the greater Joshua from the Old Testament. Joshua is a picture of Jesus, and Jesus and Joshua are the same word in two different languages. And so we have to begin to understand. And this person began to prophesy, you're in a season of greater Yeshua. Why are they using that word? Because God is saying, hey, where you're at right there, that's good. Where we were at this morning, that's what I'm doing. And I want to encourage you. Why? It was clarity that, hey, we're not just singing some song. We're right on the edge of a new season. I'm trying to encourage you that God doesn't want us groping around in the dark. And the other prophetic word I got was so encouraged about it because it just starts this. Hey, God's doing a new season. And it began to answer and it began to send scriptures and all these things. It's exactly where we're walking. I'm personally, as a body, all these things. Why is God doing that? Because he wants to send clarity as we embrace transition. And don't read too much in that. We're not transitioning leadership or anything. I'm talking about the new thing that God is doing in us. It's supernatural. It's unseen. Sometimes when we start talking about this, people are like, what changes are happening? In the atmosphere, heaven's wanting to give us more because we're asking for it. And then it takes transition to get that. And so I just want to talk to you for a moment about this place of clarity. And I, I want to I just set the table real quick, though, that out of connection and closeness come clarity. So every time I use the word clarity today, know this, that it is not... It is not something you just attain without closeness and connection. So if you haven't been here, you can go online. The podcast is there. You can listen when I talk because I can't re-preach those. I did a little bit last night, but I'm not going to this morning. 
And I just want to encourage you that everything of clarity is built off of connection and closeness with him. So everything we talk about, but see, God's desire is for us to live in clarity. So turn with me to Hebrews. I'm going to do a lot of quoting and reading today. We're going to be talking about David, and we're going to be in the Old Testament. But I want to start here in Hebrews, because I want you to understand that God is passionate about you walking in understanding. And in Hebrews 6, verse 17 says, Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. Who's that? Whoa. It's very clear. Hey, if you don't know, we're running circa 2007 off a laptop up there that's on its last leg. Okay, that's the, the old youth laptop is running our words this morning. But it, God wants to make it very clear to his heirs, that's you. He wants you to be walking in clarity. It's not a contradiction of what Shane was talking about last week. It's embracing what Shane was talking about so God can give clarity. So many people come into my office and they say, hey, would you give me some clarity on this? And the problem is they haven't got in the process of being in connection and closeness with the Father. And so they're trying to skip steps and say, hey, I need clarity in this. And God's saying, I need you with me. I want you with me. I will bring clarity. It's a guarantee, but it comes out of that place of being with him. It's what's birthed. Oh, hallelujah. And so, but then it goes on, it says, where are we here? He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, meaning what he tells you is always going to come to pass, we who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly Encourage. What I want you to understand is that clarity is to actually release hope into you. See, clarity actually doesn't change the circumstance. Clarity just gives you the proper perspective of what's going on. It gives you heaven's perspective and all of a sudden hope can fill your heart. Hope is the most powerful substance on earth. Because without hope we can't have faith. Without faith, we can't please God. And so how's God give us hope? He gives us clarity. He gives us heaven's perspective about what's going on. So you can be in the worst trial and the worst moment of your life. And all of a sudden, God gives you clarity in it and hope can begin to spring up. Why? Because God has the answer and the solution for everything you're going through. He has the solution, but he wants you to see that he's in it. He's involved. He's giving you. He wants to show you what's happening. I'm not saying that you will always know everything what's happening. I'm saying that he will give you heaven's perspective of it. And then you get to walk it out. But I don't want to embrace the unknown so much that we don't give God the place of giving us clarity in it. I'm going to say that again. I don't want to embrace the unknown so much that we don't have faith for God to give us clarity in it. Some people are still running around in the backyard saying, oh, it hurts, don't touch me, it hurts, don't touch me, 20 years later. Why? Because they haven't had faith 
for a clarity moment where God looks at him and says, hey, Tom, I want to stop the pain right now, if you'll let me. But people aren't, aren't responding because they don't have a faith system to believe that God could actually fix it. And so we begin to understand that. So see, so hope is a huge piece, and I can teach on hope for the next two weeks, but what I want to say is this, is, is that clarity gives you a moment. It gives you a spark of hope. What you do with it will be, be your choice. Amen? Hope given to you is then your choice to partner with it. Now, if you're smart, you'll understand that Romans 5 says that hope is never disappointed. Not one time has hope ever disappointed. Anyone that ever partnered with hope when it was given to them, it's never disappointed. In all of eternity. See, when I read stuff like that, it makes my head perk up. Because I began to understand that this is beyond how I feel. This is beyond anything I could build. Anything I could build in my mind that says it's never going to change. In one moment of hope, I can say, oh, hope's never disappointed. The other thing about clarity is this, that we have to understand that, that God is expecting clarity in our lives. Listen to this scripture in Philippians. Now, I do not have time to set the whole context Paul is just, he's talking about pressing in and going on, forgetting what is behind, okay? That's a good word. A lot of us live in the past. He's saying, hey, I want to go forward. And then Paul says this in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 15. He says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of these things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. What am I saying? That Paul had so much confidence in the Holy Spirit that he's saying, I know you may not understand everything I wrote here, and even you may start getting deceived, or there may start things coming against us, but I'm confident that the Holy Spirit is going to make it clear to you. I'm confident that I'm even when I'm not there, that I'm not going to have to build a discipleship program around it, that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you and make sure it's good. He's going to make sure it's clear to you. What am I saying? I'm saying that God has a passion for clarity in your life. He has a passion for you to understand not every step, not every detail. Listen, there's mystery in the kingdom. There's a tension place of clarity and mystery in me that I I hate and love all at the same time. Why? Because I love answers. God spoke to me one day. He said, Tim, will you give up your need for answers to see the supernatural. Why? Because demanding a need for answers actually stops God being able to move. Because there's mystery in Him. And we begin to understand that. So really all of this is to set the stage to, for you to believe that you can have clarity in your life. It's God's goal for you. So it's, every, it's in full stride with what Shane was talking about, about transition and embracing it and choosing, yes, even when I don't know the end, but the other side of that is then having God send revelation about what's going on. Amen? How many want that? I'm just going to tell you, the 60 people last night on Saturday night were putting it to y'all. They were way louder and may more engaged. Not a competition, just a statement. Why? Because they were understanding that transition stinks without clarity. 
And, and, and the problem is, if we're not careful, we live in a perpetual state of transition. I'm just, and that's just called not knowing the way. That's just called not knowing the way. When we're always, I know someone's like, I've been in transition for 18 years. I'm like, what in the world? Birth that thing. You know, I remember when the kids were being born, I didn't know what that was. They were like, we're in transition. I'm like, what are we transitioning to? And he turns to me and goes, Dad, it's about time to become a dad. Like, oh, it's time. We're transitioning. It means it's to birth something. So God's trying to birth something in you. So when, when it comes to clarity, I want to take an Old Testament example now and show you what it looks like. And, and honestly, with David, we're going to talk about David. I could have used him in every piece. I could have used him in the connection piece. No one had connection with the father like David in the Old Testament. Maybe Moses. And then who had closeness with the father more than, I don't know, maybe Joshua. But when it comes to it all, who walked out their destiny with clarity of who they were called to be? It's David. And it all comes from connection and closeness. But I want to show you some things that are birthed out of clarity because God's not saying, I just want to give you clarity. I want to give you, God is not a God of information. Have you all found that out? No, really. It's not like he wants, to, he wants to just give you a bunch of information. He wants to give you strategic details. So they actually propel you to the new place. It's called grace. And he wants to begin to propel you in that. And so David is, is this amazing picture of someone. He is the picture of the New Testament Christian in the Old Testament. Everything before it was allowed. Let me, just the limitations of this are so amazing. One person a year was allowed to be in the Holy of Holies. And David built a tabernacle with the Ark of the Covenant in there with no, no curtain. And she said, we're going to worship the Lord 24-7. How did that happen? It happened out of a place where, hey, I'm supposed to be getting stoned for this, but this is what God's saying. And the whole group says, yes, it is what God's doing. That's what clarity will do for you. David understood grace. He understood covenant-keeping loyalty. He understood forgiveness beyond the law. He, understood, he was reaching into heaven. He was saying, God, I, I know I follow all this law, but can you tell me who you really are? And God was showing him. He was showing him his kindness and his mercy and his goodness. He was showing him all these things. And so, you know, it's really interesting when we, when we begin to look at David. I actually got to fill in a blank here that the scripture is not 100% clear on. It's just in one statement. And it's in Samuel 13, 14. This is Samuel talking to Saul. And Saul was the, was the people's choice to be king, right? He was the people's choice to be the king of Israel. And, and the problem was, he bought into the thing that I'm king. He didn't realize that he was a steward. He wasn't the model of the New Testament. He was not the model of the New Testament believers. See, the model of the New Testament believers is that you're all kings, Right? You're all prophets, priests, and kings. That's who you are, and that's who David was. But Saul bought into the idea that I'm a king, everyone does what I'm saying, and I don't need God. Listen, there's a lot of believers running around acting like Saul. They know their authority, 
And, and they're trying to get things done out of their authority instead of out of their connection with the Father. And, and so we begin to understand that's the, that's the atmosphere we're in. And God just says, I've had enough of Saul. He's disobeying and he's not doing what I've said. And then he says the most amazing thing in 1 Samuel 13, 14. He says, I'm looking for a man after my own heart. Actually, if you look in the Hebrew, he actually says, I've already found one. I've already found a man after my own point, heart and appointed him the leader of the people. I've already done it in my heart. So something was going on. I want you just to imagine with me. In those hills around Bethlehem, there's a shepherd boy running around encountering God in such a deep way beyond the law, beyond the traditions of men at that time. He was encountering who Jesus was. He was encountering who the Father was. And there was something going on where he was just, the Father looked down and said, that heart is for me. So I choose him to be king. I choose him. See, that's the closeness and connection piece, right? They, David didn't get just anointed king out of the blue. It was out of this place of connection and heart, heart love with the father. What the father was saying is, I can trust him. I can give him things and he's not going to hurt my people. David is the picture of who we're supposed to be. I just want to say that over and over this morning. He's who we're called to be. It's why God chose him. So, so what are some of the things that get birthed out of, out of clarity? Well, the first one is this, is that your call, your destiny, and your identity are birthed out of clarity. Now, a lot of times I just want to say this, that we, we, we separate what we're doing and who we are. And I want you to know your identity is not what you do. But in the Old Testament, it was actually a picture of what you were called to do was your identity. They even named you your identity, right? And, and, and so the, this is a picture that when David was anointed king, it was actually an identity statement being given to him. And in clarity, God wants to tell you who you are. See, the story is this in 1 Samuel 16. Jesse, I mean, Jesse lives in Bethlehem. That's David's father. Samuel hears the word of the Lord, takes a horn of oil. Why? Because he knows the new king is going to get anointed here today. He shows up at Jesse's house. He says, hey, I'm here to anoint the new king. I need you to bring your sons. Everyone knows the story, right? The sons start to come by. Abinadab is the first one. He comes and stands before Samuel. He must have been a good-looking dude. He's standing there. Samuel's, oh, yeah, he's perfect. And God says, I don't look at the outside, I look at the heart. Next. Next one comes. Next one comes. Next one comes. Can you imagine the last one? He's like thinking, it's me. He gets up there and God says, that's not him. And Samuel turns to Jesse and says, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, well, there's the youngest one. I didn't even really count him. He's out with the sheep. And Samuel says, we will not sit down until he gets here. Go get him. Why? It was, it, was, it was David's moment. And when David steps in, God says, there's the one. There's the one with the heart after me. Pour the horn of oil over him and anoint him king. And what he did when he opened up and poured that horn of oil, he declared and released 
identity over who David was. So everything that was happening out in the field, everything of connection and closeness was having a moment of, oh, this is what God's been saying. And it was poured over him. And and I love it because there were probably moments where he forgot who he was. And he could have that memory of when the horn of oil was flowing down onto his face. I said this last night. I think there were moments, because it's really interesting, the next thing we hear about him, he's back in the field being a shepherd. Like, I thought I was supposed to be king. Listen, a lot of us mistreat our clarity moments with the Father. We mistreat them where God will come and say, hey, this is what I want to do with you. This is who you are, and you're mighty and powerful, and this is what I want to do with you. And you're like, all right, pour it out. And God said, I need you now to go back and be a shepherd. What? And we take our prophetic words, and we're like pressing the 30-second button on the microwave, right? And God said, no, I've got a pressure cooker right over here for you. Because I want you to be good. I mean... Let's just get real. How many of you have ever eaten a really good meal out of a microwave? No, you haven't. Hot pocket does not count. It's made to be something that you... God wants you to be something that's attractive to the world. He's saying, I can't do it in 30 seconds. Why? Because I want want to pour into you so much, I don't want it to leak all out. So I'm going to begin to develop you. So David's out there back in the field, and I think he's just smelling his hair. He's like, man, that smells like oil. God's saying, that's right, that's your destiny. That's who you are. That's who you are. See, in clarity, you begin to have your identity and your call and your purpose in life begin to come to you. Now, this is a big one because a lot of people get really mad when I talk about this. Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Get with the Father. Just get with the Father. He wants to show you. He has a horn of oil to pour over your head and say, this is what you're called to do. He has it for you. And so what begins to birth in clarity, the first thing is that you begin to receive your identity and your destiny. He's going to begin to tell you who you are. Not who you are based on what you've done. He's going to begin to tell you who you are. David had never been the king. He had never been king. And it's really interesting that the next section of Scripture actually has him playing the harp for Saul in the court, right? It's the second half of 16. I always thought that's so weird. Why did, the, why did God do that? Because he had to show him how to be a king. And a lot of times you can learn by doing, learning what not to do. Have you ever been in a situation where reverse engineering was a great way for you to learn? David's sitting in there and like, man, where's the presence of the Lord in here? So much non-presence in Saul's court that demons could come and torment him. And David would start to play and what would happen? The Holy Spirit would come or whatever you think about the philosophy in the Old Testament. Somebody was coming and, and ministering to Saul. And David was like, you know what? When, my, when I'm leading the kingdom, the presence of the Lord is going to be first and foremost over everything. He was learning. It was his identity. He wasn't even judging Saul. He was just saying, ooh, this works good. I'm going to do this 
when I'm walking in my destiny. He wasn't saying, hey, let's go stab Saul, get him out of the way so I can be the king and we can have presents. That's how the church is done. Like, oh, that's what my prophetic word is, so get out of the way. Here, I'm going to do it now. God's saying, what are you doing? Walk in clarity here. And then the next section of Scripture is 1 Samuel 17, right? Anyone know what 1 Samuel 17 is about? If you were here last night, don't say. David and Goliath, right? One of the most famous Scriptures in all the Bible. It's a crazy story. The Philistines and the Israelites have come to a valley to make war. You know what they're warring over? Israel's property. It was Israel's promised valley, and the Philistines were always trying to usurp. They were always trying to come and say, this was our land. And God's saying, no, I gave it to them. And so I just want you to see that picture first, because that's what it's really all about. And Goliath, the champion, anywhere from nine foot six to eight foot six, would come out and stand and say, send out your champion. And then he would mock God and mock God's people. About halfway through the chapter, Jesse turns to, to David and says, hey, I need you to go take all the other brothers, the ones that God passed over. I need you to take them some supplies. He's still serving the ones that he had a call greater to be. Why? Because his whole thing was based on service. All he ever did, the whole thing was serve the Lord. And, and he goes and he, and he says, he drops off the supplies and he's walking by and Goliath comes out for his daily taunt, right? And David, I love it, he's just walking by and he begins to hear something. And, and this is what I want to tell you, that what happens in moments of clarity, this is what happens, that there are moments of birth, passion and direction for that moment that God wants you to act. David's walking by, there's a whole army of Israelites that could have been the one, but there was something in him when he heard it, he was like, that's not right. Why? Because he had a passion and a love for the Father. And when, it, when Goliath stood up and began to mock God and God's army and God's people, the very identity of who David was, he was called to be their king. It began to disturb him. He's like, that's not okay. That's not okay. And, we, and, and it's amazing what we begin to see is going on with the army. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. What am I saying in this? I just want to be real clear about what this point is. That you're going to know what to do and when to do it. Everybody just nod your head. I want you to believe it. That in moments of clarity, you're going to know what to do and when to do it. Steve Backlund says all the time that we actually all carry the solution to every question that's going to come against us. And that's something that I've had to retrain my thinking that the solution for everything that comes against me is on the inside of me right now because it's Jesus. And David, is he's having a moment where he's walking by, he's serving, he's obeying the Father, he's doing everything he's asked, but all of a sudden something springs up in him. Now, let me just set the stage, though, what the atmosphere is when, when Goliath is coming out. In, in chapter 17, verse 11, it says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul 
And the Israelites, and, it, and, and another version says, and all the army were dismayed and terrified. Now, I want you to understand that when the enemy comes and begins to challenge the very word of the Lord for this is our land, this is my destiny, this is what we're called to walk in, the enemy wants to usurp your land, your family, your rights. How many know you're forgiven? How often does the enemy come and tell you you're not? Why? Because he's usurping the truth of who God is in your life. And there has to be moment, and, and we begin to see the atmosphere of what's going on. There's dismay and great fear. And I just want to encourage you today that we're going to walk out of dismay and great fear in here. Because it's all over. Listen, the church of God's people on earth is covered in dismay and fear of what the enemy is saying. And here's the problem. It's keeping all the champions that are in that army from standing up and killing Goliath. I believe this, that anyone could have stood up in the passion of the Father and said, oh, how dare you talk about God that way and God's people. He wasn't needing one special champion. He just needed one who would believe, and there only happened to be one that day. See, we've got to break down this thing that there's one champion for every moment. You're champions. The only time champions is used in the Hebrews right here in Saul. I mean, Goliath lets out a call says, bring out your champions. Every time I read it, I'll say, I'll bring it, I'll come out. I mean, I wish it told me this, that for 40 days he had been doing it and someone went out and fought him. At least they tried. I said, I wish. But I know the end of the story is the first one that would have done it. God would have given him ability and grace. What am I saying? There was so much dismay and fear that the champions, the army of God, couldn't even rise up. See, we, we sing about being the army of God, but I think a lot of times if we're not careful, we'll be living in dismay and fear of actually being in the fight. We're showing all of our armor. We're showing all the things we are, but God's saying, I need you to fight now. I need you to go take land. We're like, whoa, did you hear what the enemy was saying? Listen, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm just trying to stir you up. That we're called to do this. And there's so much dismay. The Hebrew word for dismay right there actually means confusion and discouragement. How many have ever been there? Like, God, what the heck is going on? I know you love me. I know you have all this, these things for me. And everything else it looks opposite. And listen discouragement is just because of a lack of courage discouraged god is saying i need a people with courage and they're and they're confused and they're and I, I can imagine them like, should we go out tomorrow because we know goliath is coming out right I'm like i don't know he's like you're pretty good with the sword like i don't think so i think you can do it no well i think you can do it do you see him? He's pretty big. Did I mention he's big? He's huge. He's huge. Did you see him? He's giant. His armor bearer is bigger than me. What am I saying? We, we begin to tally up all the reasons we shouldn't. And if we're not careful, we live in a world of being discouraged. But the other word is really interesting. It doesn't just mean fear. It actually means this, that they, it actually was so fearful in the atmosphere that they begin to revere 
Goliath. They begin to revere the fear that was come upon them. They begin to embrace it, and it actually, the same word for revere could even mean almost worship. And if we're not careful, we'll be a people who, who, when the enemy is trying to come against us in fear, we just begin to revere the greatness of what's coming against us. I talk to people sometimes, and all they want to talk about is what the enemy's doing. I'm like, okay. Like, I listened to a lady the other day, 35 minutes, told me everything the enemy's ever done in her whole life. And I'm like, all right, now you want to get fixed? Because let's talk about what God's done. She was like, well, what about the other? I'm like, we're about to fix that. She's like, it can't be that easy. It's like, no, that's the problem. You've been in awe of that. You've been in awe of the things coming against you. You've been in awe of what you've done in the past. You've been in awe, and you're not believing that God has the answer for it right now. And one person, full of identity, full of destiny, walks in there and says, whoa. He has a moment of clarity where God speaks to him and says, hey, today is my day and you're going to be part of it. See, it didn't say it's your day. He had already anointed him king. He said, today you're going to act like king. When Saul's not acting like a king, see, Saul should have been the one out there. But he wasn't acting the king. The one who had the heart after God, who had already been anointed king, said, okay, now it's time to go back like a king. And we know the story, right? I love it. He walks out there. Listen to verse 26 in, verse, in chapter 17. It says, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? See, he was understanding that this is not Okay. This is actually stopping the grace of God appearing. See, Titus tells us this. See to it that all men have the grace of God, right? Come on. If you don't know it, trust me. Titus says that see to it that no one misses the grace of God. See to it that everyone experiences the grace of God. And David was recognizing that the army was not being able to receive the grace that God had put on them to be his people. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should divide the armies of the living God? In the Hebrew, it actually says, defy God and his armies. I want you to tell you, he was not trying to protect the reputation. He was saying, this guy doesn't know our God. That's what he was declaring. So we know the story. They take him to Saul. They're like, we have a crazy one. That's what I'm going to tell you. Crazy. David's brother tells him, shut up. You just want to be in war. David's like, you bet I do. Because I'm king. And that guy's not acting right. And so they take him to Saul. What's Saul try to do? Put his armor on him, right? Can I, can I just, without just getting into all that, be yourself. You've got weapons and, and you've got abilities that I don't have. I need you to be yourself. We don't need clones. We need God's people. And Saul's like, hey, put this on, and here's a sword. And David says, this isn't going to work. He says, thanks, but no thanks. And he takes it off. What's he do? He goes down, and he says he takes five stones. I love it. It says he ran towards Goliath. And Goliath walked towards him thinking, I got this. And Goliath, David's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Why? Because he knew I'm not going to miss. Because I've got Holy Ghost laser sights on this thing. 
And when he let that rock go, it hit him right in between the eyes. It says he fell face down. Uh, Aaron Teal was here last night. He said they've done medical studies that it was like a 44 magnum hitting him in, the, in between the eyes with the density of the rocks from that place. And when it fell down, David walks out and cuts his head off. Do you know what happens? It says the army of God rises up and raids towards the Philistines. Why? Because one person walking in clarity can release an entire generation into clarity. All the dismay, all the discouragement, all the reverence of fear was over with one person acting in their clarity of what God was doing. It says they went and they plundered the armies. Listen, the reason they're singing about David when they come back that Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands, David had killed one. But in their hearts, they knew that everyone slain here today was because of the clarity of that one guy. What am I saying? It matters for you to walk in clarity because there may be some people discouraged and dismayed all around you and God's saying, I need you because they can't even hear it right now. But one moment of you manifesting clarity, one moment of you manifesting the word of the Lord, one moment of you manifesting hope is going to bring clarity to the whole situation. I just want to say one more thing about this that he not only knew what to do and when to do it, but he knew who the father was. He knew who the father was because he, he, they go in and they're like, you've not even been in the army. You're not even a soldier. And he says, don't worry. Don't worry. Because when I was a shepherd and me and Jesus were hanging out, there was a bear that came and took one of the lambs. And I chased it down took it out of his mouth, and when he came around, I killed him. A bear. They don't have bear week like they had shark week. But if you knew anything about a bear, a bear's paw is the width of a man's chest. What am I saying? It was supernatural. We have YouTube now. We know what it looks like when a person fights a bear. It, it doesn't go good. Have anyone seen the videos? Oh, come on. I know you all go down the YouTube wormhole. It's out there. You can see it. It doesn't go well. Bears win. What happens when people wrestle lions? Lions win, right? What am I saying? David knew who his father was, and he said, hey, when I was out in the field, God would tell me to go, and it was a lion and a bear. He says it like four times. Why? Because he's trying to say it was a lion and a bear, and God delivered me from both. So my history tells me that God is a deliverer. And when I walk out against that behemoth of a man today, I know what's going to happen. Because I know who God is. See, you begin to understand who God is, it will change the way you act. It'll change the way you live. It'll change everything about how you see. And, and it may start little, like a wolf. And then a lion and a bear, all those things still take God to deliver. It's so important that we grasp that. Your history matters. I know people are like, what's God done for me lately? Stop it. What's he done for you? And what you believe will actually cause it to be lately. So we begin to understand that. Okay, oh. 
Three things that stop clarity, real quick. The first one is judgment. Matthew 7, 5 says, You will see clearly after you take the log out of your own eye so you can remove the speck from someone else's. Listen, judgment will rob you from moments of clarity because judgment clouds your mind. Judgment is the enemy's tool to cause confusion. It's the enemy's tool to come and, and, and just say, hey, you know, like, I got on hold. I won't go there. Yeah, I, I just talked about how people are walking in so much judgment of the church that they're missing the benefit of being in community with God's people. And what they don't understand is they're so hurt and they've got this big log and they're slinging around and it's wiping everybody out around them. And they're saying, it's the church's fault. And I want to say, no, it's the log in your eyes' fault. <laughs> yes, those people did hurt you. But take the log out and you'll be able to forgive them. Come on, take the log out and it'll keep you out of judgment. The second thing that stops clarity is deception. Jesus says, you don't understand my words. but You don't even understand who I'm from. I'm from the Father. If you understood that, you would love me. Because you say you love the Father, but you don't love the Father because you're deceived. Deception will stop you from, from walking in clarity. He says this, he says, you, my words are so clear to you, why don't you understand them? Because they were deceived. I'm just going to let that one go. I talked a lot about deception here. But the third thing is this, and I just want to give this a minute. Y'all going to have to give me a few extra minutes here. The last thing is, is that what will stop clarity, though, is loss of vision or distraction. I want to go back to David for just a moment. In 2 Samuel 11, so we're... 20 chapters later, he's king. He's fulfilling the destiny of his life. He's walking in what God has for him. He's being the picture of a New Testament saint, being a king, a prophet, a priest, and a king, and ministering before the Lord. That's who you are. You're all Davids. People hold David in such high revere. I'm like, awesome, that's who we are. And we begin to see that, and, and, and all of a sudden, though there's a moment in 2 Samuel 11, 1, it says, when the kings went to war, when it was time for kings to go off to war, David sent Joab with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. First of all, what was David's identity, call, and purpose? King. Where should David have been in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel 11? At war. He was called to be at war. And in the process, in the journey of walking with God, Something began to happen. Maybe you begin to think, oh, I'm a little older. And I've killed a lot of people. Actually, if you really begin to understand it, I think he was afraid that he had blood on his hands and he wasn't going to be able to build the house of the Lord. That's just my personal opinion. And he thought, well, maybe if I just stop going to war, God will let me do what's in my heart. And, but listen, he was supposed to be at war. It was identity. It was a loss of vision. It was a loss of vision in his life. Well, what and the world happens next. Well, he sends him to war, and it says he goes out on the roof, and there's Bathsheba. Can I just say this? That the problem wasn't that he looked. He could have just turned away and said, whoa, that's, that's Uriah's girl. I'm never going there again. It says he looked again. I'm not encouraging you to look. What I'm saying is recognize when God, the enemy's doing a trap in your life and you just get over here and say, nope, that's Uriah's girl. Who was Uriah? One of his 30 mighty men. That's Uriah's wife. But instead, in a moment of, of loss of vision, he calls her, brings her to, to the temple. They conceive a child. She comes to David and says, we've messed up. 
Now, in the grace of God, David calls Uriah, and I believe this, that we all have Uriahs in our lives where it was a moment to break him out of loss of vision. It was a moment when he pulls Uriah and he says, hey, Uriah, I just want you to come and you can be with your wife for a few days. And Uriah says, no way. God's army, the same passion that David used to be carrying, God's army is out in the field at war and I'm going to sleep right here on this hard ground to remember what they're going through right now. And it should have pierced David's heart. It should have pierced his heart right there. Oh, that's my identity. That's who I am. Uriah, you're a man of God. I believe at that moment he could have turned and said, Uriah, I've made a mistake. And Uriah, being a man of God, would have turned to him and said, I forgive you. But missing his moment of clarity, missing what God was doing, he sends Uriah back to war. He tells Joab, hey, when Uriah's out there doing his thing, killing a whole bunch of Philistines, he said, just pull back. Pull back the men. Joab's like, what? Like he's one of our friends. He's one of our 30. He says, no, just pull back. It says that the enemy overtook him. He killed him. He took Bathsheba in. The baby dies. He's mourning. And here comes Nathan. Who's Nathan? Nathan's the prophet. It's the word of the Lord. He's a picture of the word of the Lord. Listen, we don't always need a prophet. We just need the word of the Lord. And, and the prophet comes and he says, hey, I got a little story to tell you. There was a guy that had a whole bunch of lambs. And there was a guy who had one lamb. The guy with a whole bunch of lambs decided he wanted the one lamb. I, I bet David about... Halfway through the story, he's like, this isn't going well. <laughs> and then he turns to David in beautiful Hebrew that matches so well with English these days and says, David, you're the man. You're the man. You stole Uriah's lamb. You killed him. And listen, the rules at that moment for adultery and murder where David should have been taken out and stoned outside the city. But what I want to talk to you about for the next two minutes is this, that God has in this amazing place of the story of David wants to show us that on our journey, even catastrophic mistakes are overcome by moments of clarity. Transition is not always good places going on. God wants to transition us out of them. David was in a total loss of vision in his life. And he didn't know what was going on. And the word of the Lord comes to him. It brings clarity. And from that moment, he writes Isaiah, I mean, Psalm, I don't know why I've said that every time. Psalms 51. He penned Psalms 51. I'm going to read it to you. Why? Because this is what clarity does. It causes you to reach in beyond what you know should happen and say, God, I'm looking for grace and mercy here. Psalms 51.1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. See, that was against the rules in the Old Covenant. The stoning was going to be the only thing that blotted out. But he said, No, blot it out, God, because I know who you are. I know who you've been in my life. Blot out the transgressions. Come on, that's good stuff. Wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you. And you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inmost parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost places. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. What's going on? He's breaking out of loss of vision. He's breaking out of all the things that have happened. He's breaking out of sin and condemnation. Listen, the phrase where he says, my sin has always been before me is the enemy saying, look what you've done. Look what you've done. And David says, blot it out, God. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a pure heart of God and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Then the one that gets to it all, but, don't, but do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit away from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. What's he saying? He's saying, God, in a moment of loss of vision, I turned from you, but here I am now. And he's the picture of the new covenant, he was reaching out and saying, God, I know what I deserve. Listen, we all know what we deserve for what we've done. We deserve hell. It's going to be real clear. Separation from God. But all of a sudden, he's reaching into a new covenant, the covenant we live in. And he's saying, hey, God, blot it out. Make it as far as the east is from the west. Remove it forever. Make me new. Make, Make me feel like king again. Sustain my spirit. Listen, I believe in here right now when I read that, there's someone in here that you feel like your spirit is overwhelmed and I feel like you need to ask the Lord right now to sustain your spirit. It means breath of heaven going into you. Let's stand up. His recovery from the season of loss and vision came from his history of connection and closeness. His recovery from pain was all about knowing who the Father was. Guys, I believe this, that the Lord is in here to redeem today. He's in here to stir your identity, your destiny. He's in here to give you clarity. Maybe you totally were loving what Shane was talking about. I'm just going to embrace I'm going to embrace this transition. I want to tell you now, he's wanting to birth clarity in you in it. He's going to give you the words of the Lord. He wants to give you the things that propel you out of it. He wants to give you the things so it actually produces the fruit that it was trying to produce. So if you've just been in a season of transition and you just say, man, I'm I'm asking God for clarity today. Can you raise your hand? Good and brave. I love courage. It's what kills the enemy. So we just release clarity to you right now. We just release the the word of the Lord. We come against any, any judgments, any deception, any loss of vision. We just release clarity right now in the room. And if there's anyone in here who just say, man, I, I have messed up. And it is costing me my destiny. I want to tell you, no, it's not. 
No, it's not. You just got to come to him and say, create in me a clean heart, O God. Oh, and don't cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me, because that clarity, that everything I need comes from him. And if that's you today, right now, I just want you to open your heart and receive the truth that the Father is a redemptive, a redemptive God. It's his nature. I know I've gone long today, but I had a lot to say. And so we just, we just release that over you right now. I know that there's more in you in here than, than not about the other things, but if you've just been in a season of loss of vision, the Lord just is calling you up right now saying, come on, come on, let's go to war. You're a king. You're a king. Let's go to war. I don't like war. War in him is good. It just, it just means that you're going to go fulfill more inheritance. So we, just, we bless you guys right now. I can just feel the heart of the Father in here right now. He's just, he's just saying, come on, don't believe the lies. Keith shared something with me in, in worship, and the enemy was just accusing. He saw the throne room just accusing, and Jesus said, it's my blood, and the enemy just had to shut up. It's his blood. It's, his, it's nothing you've done. But he needs you to partner with him right now and just receive it. Just receive. Yeah, Elizabeth just feeling him. If you've just, you just listened to me today and you thought, that guy is crazy. But there's something in your heart pounding saying, man, I got to know Jesus that way. I got to be like David. I gotta be. A, I've gotta be. Know who my King is, who my God is. I gotta live for Him forever. If that's you, you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Keith, come up here. This guy right here is going to introduce you to the most amazing person. If that's you today, if, if anyone is that you, just raise your hand. If there's anyone here who doesn't know the Lord today and wants to, it's all right. If you want to, this guy's it'll change your life. We always say it's the greatest day of your life. It's the day the horn comes getting poured over your head. It says, I call you son of God. All right. Well, we could keep going, but it's super late. So, Chris, I think you're going to. Thank you, Tim. Excellent word. <laughs>